0: I had to go up to Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN was. And I was in a room with a bunch of guys who went to Berkeley Film School, sitting there in suits and ties, arguing back and forth about what's possible and what's not. And I was looking at them people going, they don't know anything about hunting. And they were looking at me going, that redneck don't know anything about television. And and we were both 100% correct.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and this week I get to sit down and talk with one of my heroes of the hunting industry, Mr. Ronnie Cuz Strickland. Uh, Cuz was the original cameraman for Will Primos and their True Series videos, eventually going to work for Mossy Oak, where he continues to work today. He also happens to be one of our NDA board members, and that's just one of many ways that Cuz is giving back to conservation in the hunting community. Uh, Cuz shares a lot of great stories from his early days in the hunting industry, uh, what he thinks of the new hunting media that's so prevalent today, as well as some stories of hunting with his grandkids and his his passion for recruiting new hunters. Uh, we have a great conversation, and and I know you guys are going to enjoy hearing Cuz's story. Before we get started, though, this week's episode is brought to you by NDA sponsor, Redneck Blinds. Uh, now through the end of July, which is, you know, less than a week, uh, Redneck Blinds is offering $100 off the purchase of any other of five fiberglass blinds. All you got to do is use promo code NDA100. And again, you'll save $100. Bucks. Uh, Redneck has developed a reputation as the best enclosed blind in hunting. And now's your chance to add a redneck to your favorite hunting property uh, before this coming fall. And speaking of redneck blinds, we're actually wrapping up our second fundraiser with them uh, next Monday, July 31st. And you're going to want to get in on this one. Uh, We're giving away one of the redneck hunting cabins. And this thing has insulated walls and roof and windows. It's got a uh, pre-installed 110-volt outlet marine carpeted foam floor liner completely sealed and protected from bugs and mice, uh, as well as magnetic window curtains and more, much more. So uh, if you could use something like that on your hunting property, be sure to head over to deerassociation.com slash redneck to get entered today. Again, that closes next Monday, July 31st. So be sure to go ahead and get your chances on that before it's too late. And also coming up this week on Saturday, July 29th, is our first of three Working for Wildlife Tour events. Uh, This one will take place in Idaho, and we'll be joining Mark Kenyon and others to get our hands dirty and proving public land habitat for deer and other wildlife. The events are open to anybody who wants to come out and volunteer, and we'd love to see each and and every one of you guys out there. Uh, We just need you to go ahead and pre-register if you're going to show up, and you can do that on our website at DeerAssociation.com. Slash WFW, and one more thing before we jump on the phone with uh, Cuz, the NDA has completely restructured our membership levels, and for the first time ever, we now offer a free basic membership option. So there is absolutely no excuse not to be a member of the the National Deer Association. Now, the free membership includes receiving our weekly newsletter packed with all the latest you know deer hunting and deer management information. Uh, It also makes you eligible for our regular member prize drawings, like the HHA bow site that will be given away on August 15th. And uh, you'll you'll also receive important local action alerts regarding deer policy and regulations in your state, uh, as well as upcoming NDA events. And again, this is all completely free to you. Now, if you'd like to further support the NDA, we also offer a premium membership that for a limited time is just $35. That includes all the benefits of the basic membership, plus discounts on gear from NDA sponsors and partners, uh, an NDA hat and decal for new members, as well as entry into our regular premium member drawings. And for the first of those, we're giving away a pair of Vortex binoculars and an Alps Outdoors uh, binocular harness. So premium members are eligible for both the premium drawing and the basic membership drawing. Uh, and all you got to do is head over to our website at DeerAssociation.com slash join to become a member today. And with that, guys, we're going to jump on the phone here with Cuz Strickland. Well, hey, Cuz, welcome to the Deer Season Three Sixty Five Podcast. Uh, man, it's it's truly an honor to to have you on here.
0: Well, I appreciate the invitation. You know, I'm I'm getting a little long in the tooth, and I appreciate being relevant. You know, <laughs> but it's uh it's it's all about communications and uh you know, sometimes you're talking about deer and hunting, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, some of those older guys, they, they have some good pointers. I, I personally like my, like my pilot. If I got to fly somewhere, I don't mind seeing a little gray hair on the side of him. Uh, <laughs> <it's> personal opinion.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Some, some of the man, some of the best guys I've talked to are, yeah, those, those older guys that, that have the experience, you know, they've been there and done that. And, uh, you know sometimes sometimes you have a little problem uh on the on the communication side the technology side you know getting getting them on the podcast but uh but yeah they're they're the ones who typically
0: give uh the the best advice out there for sure yeah nothing nothing wrong with that you know i i can't tell you i have a standard cut and paste answer i'll get a uh a, a text or a, a private message hey man i saw your podcast how do i get it Because old guys, they don't understand. They probably got the app on the phone. I say, say, hey, hand hand, hand it to your grandson or your granddaughter. (laughs) They can do it in two seconds. So I feel you. I feel your pain.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. And and I, you know, I like to think, uh, you know, I try to keep up with all that technology and stuff. But still, man, it gets harder and harder every year. Just like you said, you, uh, you struggle with something and then, you know, hand it off to you. Ten, ten, twelve-year-old grandson, and uh, they they show you in a second how how it's done. So it's it's humbling.
0: Indeed, it is. You know, <laughs> I I made the commitment. I was going to dive into it. I was catfishing with my my young, my oldest grandchild, who's a girl. She's actually a sophomore at Mississippi State now. I'll tell you how old I am, but <laughs> she, she was about twelve, eleven or twelve, and we we've been catfishing and. She was scrolling on that phone, and I said, "Amy, you you spend too much time on that phone." She said, "Pop, if you're not on Instagram, you're not relevant." <laughs> and I went, I went, "Ouch!" She, I don't know if she was talk, telling talking to me, but I, and I told my wife, I said, "You know what? I, I'm going to figure out some of the social media because I'm I'm going to be relevant to those grandkids because good, bad, or indifferent, none of that's going anywhere." They're no. gonna have their they're gonna have that phone with them. And if you want to deliver a message or have to keep up with you or you keep up with them, uh you gotta figure some of that stuff out. So
1: That's right. Like it or not, yep, that's the way yeah. of the world.
0: Yeah, that's it.
1: <laughs> well man, I'm excited to get you on the show, uh, to talk a little bit about, you know, your history of Mossy Oak and, you know, the changes that you've seen in in the hunting industry and in the hunting community. Uh, as as well as a topic that I know is, is near and dear to you and that's you know getting youth involved in, in hunting in the outdoors so uh, lo- looking forward to that conversation and I, I know the vast majority of, of our listeners are going to know who you are but uh, I, I'd still love to get a little backstory on your, your career in the hunting industry and really starting with just you know who was it that uh, initially got you involved in hunting in the outdoors?
0: <clears throat> yeah well I grew up in a Small town, Southwest Mississippi, right on the Mississippi River. Natchez, <clears throat> My dad was a twenty-year Army guy, and uh, he didn't hunt a lot, if at all. He would. We would make him go sometimes, hmm. like the week during Christmas. And I can. And, but he was a fisherman, and I tell people to this day, he's the best fisherman I've ever known, who, who didn't own a boat. Because back then, it was you know ponds and going down the the levee toward Vidalia, Louisiana, going across the bridge, fishing what we call bar pits, which the correct term is borrow pits. But <laughs> he, uh, he, he, he kind of instilled in me that I love being outside and, uh, I stuck with the hunt and I had an older brothers kind of stuck with the fishing, but I, I was just enthralled with everything about it. And, uh, of course, it was all public land. They make such a big deal about public land now. I mean, that's all I ever did till I was in my probably mid twenties. So it's no big deal to me. I hunted in a home and shit at Cedar National Forest. And uh, when he retired from the army, he went to work for the local newspaper, the Natchez Democrat. He was the sports editor, and he had a hunting and fishing column on Sundays. And uh, later in his life, when he had some health issues. He asked me if I wanted to take that column over, and I did. I, I started writing this column with absolutely no training. Matter of fact, <laughs> the, the editor of the newspaper told me, he "said, man, we used to, I would turn it in on Thursdays because it would be in the Sunday paper." He said, "He said we'd all gather around. They'd go get a six pack just to read my column, <laughs> you know, because I, I would spell like I spell barbed wire b o b w i r e, you know how." No, but I, I knew what I was talking about. I That's just right. didn't know how to how to put it on paper. But anyway, that little column ended up getting syndicated, and uh, I ended up working in a sporting goods store there in uh, Natchez and uh, rigging bows. And we were a huge archery dealer. And uh, the short version is, I was buying calls from Will Primos when he was still making them himself, those true double mouth calls. And uh, I was, uh, one of my buddies came in one day. He bought the first VHS camera I'd ever seen. It came into Sears and Roebuck, and he, that's where he bought it. And I immediately started trying to handle that thing. and so said, let's go film a turkey hunt. And I would send Will the VHS tape. Because we were using this calls just for him to look at. And he kind of just showed up at that store one day with this giant key, uh, camera he bought at a uh, uh, WLBT, the TV station. He said, you think you could trail a hunt with that? And I was, at that <laughs> thing. I was looking at that thing going, I don't know, that's a lot. Because mm. it was gigantic. It was a huge camera with a like a three-quarter inch cable that plugged into a recording deck with these big three-quarter inch Anyway, I, I camoed it up best I could, and uh, I, you know, ended up filming the first couple of Truth videos, and now that's become a cult movie. But that's kind of where I got my start, right there. So, yeah.
1: So did did you have a mentor at all, as far as on the hunting side of things?
0: Uh, yeah, really didn't. You know, I, I I kind of I had a good buddy, and we hunt together. Didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> And of course, back then, there weren't, there was no such thing as a food plot. Uh, I mean, it was all finding a, you know, you'd find a good acorn tree uh, or a funnel or a, in my part of the world, uh, you know, it might be a fruit bearing tree, persimmons or something like that. And uh, you just sat and waited for deer. There wasn't a whole lot going on. <laughs> and uh, I, I started reading. Magazines, you know, I was a big reader. I was a big outdoor writer fan, and I would read Field and Stream. wasn't a lot of stuff about the southeast. No, it was a lot, a lot of out west, you know, and a lot of Midwest stuff even back then. But I just loved it, you know. wasn't And I tell everybody all the time, and I, I they, you think of me if you do, if you know me, you probably think of turkey hunting. But I was bow hunting way before. I was turkey I mean, it actually took me about—I think it was six six years—before I actually killed a deer with a bow and arrow. It mm-hmm. was re, recurves, and I was not a good instinctive shot. I think that's a gift from God. I just wasn't that good. I missed yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, but uh, when I, I got my first compound bow, it was a Indian Stalker, which the cable—it didn't have a string. It was one solid cable, and you put your uh, knocking point on that cable, but it had a movable pin built into the riser. You could move it up and down. It was like a brass thing. And I figured that out and went, oh, my word, I'm going to kill every deer in the county with this <laughs> thing. And so, uh, yeah, there wasn't a lot of people to talk to back then about deer hunting or turkey hunting, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah well i can I can relate to that
1: side of it i didn't no no one in my family hunted by the time I took an interest so yeah it was uh it was all learning by by trial and error and and more error than than trial so yeah <laughs> uh but yeah i think I think that 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 can be good too i mean you you learn a lot by all those uh all those mistakes you make along the way for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had my nose bloodied a lot, you know, and, and back then there wasn't that much information. Now it's constant information <laughs> yeah. and it was, uh, you can get overloaded with information. Just get oh, on yeah. Instagram or Facebook and whoever you're following. And if they're, uh, I guess they call them influencers now, I mean, there's, it's just relentless product after product after oh. product. And, uh, and, uh, learning the hard way was, Kind of fun. You know, the, the journey is always more special than the destination to me. And, and I've had a, a really good time, you know, in life, because I got to see all the hunting stuff from the first compound bow, basically, to what I was going on now. And uh, it was incredible to be part of that journey. And then to be in the industry as part of that journey was truly fascinating. Not only hunting gear. But, uh, you know, it used to be all about magazines and uh, that's how I did the PR for Mossy Oak forever and I did that by taking outdoor writers, hunting and putting them in Mossy Oak and uh, making sure they were wearing it when we took our pictures and now all that's, they're still magazines, but I mean, I don't know what the percentage is, but I'd say the vast majority, 90% of the people are getting their information from their phone or their iPad. So you got to, we had to figure out how to get into there, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, yeah it's, it's been it's been fun to watch oh yeah,
1: Ab- absolutely and and i want I do want to dive into more of that here in a minute, but um, yeah kind of walk us through the progression of your career. you know, you talked about uh, will coming in with that ginormous camera. Where, where did things go yeah. from there?
0: <laughs> yeah i we, uh, I did it a kind of a part- time deal that first year trying to figure that camera out, and I tell people they won't believe it. I, I did it for a couple of weeks the spring before I went to work for him, <clears throat> and he would pay me, I think it was $0.06 cents a mile or $10 a day. That's, <laughs> what I, that's That was the pay for going and trying to figure this camera out, and, uh, which was kind of complicated. And uh, Anyway, I figured it out enough and just kind of made the leap of faith. He said, well, will you come to work for him? And he, uh, I went up there talking to him. And I thought, and that was a cool idea. I wasn't thinking about, you know, the money or anything because there basically wasn't any. Him and Taxi were starting at the same time. But he bought a new Ford truck, just a plain Jane, great, wasn't a crew cab or anything. We called it the Silver Bullet. It was a silver Ford truck. We put a camper shell on it. I actually built a box back in the back of the truck. And I would, and I lined it with foam. <laughs> I don't remember where I got the foam so I could set the whole camera while it was still on the tripod and that recording deck in there and then shut the lid so it wouldn't slide around. It was so big. And uh, I filmed that first year full time. I didn't get to go with Will, but maybe twice. He was busy trying to launch the Primo's thing. He, his family was in the restaurant business in Jackson. He even had an, another restaurant on his own, so he was back and forth and back and forth. So he said, look, just go with your buddies. Y'all go film some turkeys and do the best you can. And I think I ended up getting 12 or 13 hunts that first year on those giant three-quarter-inch tapes. And... uh <laughs> We, uh, he had a friend in Jackson that was in the production business, a company called Imageworks, and they would do commercials and all. So we went up there to edit it, and I took that big box of 12 inch or these gigantic three quarter inch tapes. And a guy put his first one in his deck and brought it up to play in. And that happened to be the tape we grabbed was the, the hunt from Glasscock Island, where you can see the wad hit the turkey and all that. And <laughs> he was, he was looking in. And he said, Now, at, at some point, did you take a white balance? And I'm like, what's a white balance? <laughs> I, I didn't know anything. But anyway, we just, you know, we we laid all those hunts out, and Will and I were sitting there, and he said, what are we going to call this thing? And I said, I don't know, but it's the truth. I mean, I said, we just found what we did, and that's where the name came from. And anyway, he it was crazy. Will wanted me to move to Jackson. I lived in Natchez two and a half, three hours away, and I couldn't do that. I had little kids and anyway I said, look, I'm gonna have to I I need to stay home more. So I went back to work for the sporting goods store and then Will called Toxie and said, Hey, we need to keep this guy in our loop because they were starting their companies at the same time, and he'd already gotten Will to do an ad with him. and So, Toxie called, and I drove up here to West Point. That's for one and a half, five hours away. I felt like I was going to Canada. <laughs> but anyway, I, he said, look, you can sell forests and do that. You can cover your territory here and there and kind of make your own schedule. And I ended up going to work for Toxie on them kind of a wing and a prayer. Certainly wasn't money involved in that either. But I was uh I was good at selling this new camouflage. And um, Bill Bill Sugg, who was the first employee, he he covered Mississippi and me and Bob Dixon got hired about the same time. And Bob would do Alabama and I had everything else. I mean, wherever, Arkansas, Louisiana, and and I can remember I had a 83, my company car was an 83 Delta 88 (laughs) Oldsmobile. We called it the tank. It was so big. (laughs) Had my samples in there. And I I can remember stopping and calling Toxie many times at a phone booth. There weren't any cell phones or anything. And say, dude, I just sold $250 worth of oak." And he's like, you're a kid. And I said, no. And, uh. That's where the stories come from, you know, being on the road and, uh, selling it, you know, walking in cold. Hey, I got something here. And I would show them pictures. We opened dealers up and it was, it was doing pretty good, but I still wasn't making any money. And, uh, I came home one day and my, my wife was sitting there had stacks of bills or whatever <laughs> firm. She said she said, Look, we need to talk and I said, I get it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm done playing. I need to get a real job. So I called Toxie and he said, Look, give me six months It's fixing the turn. And during that next six months is when Browning took Mossy as their official camo pattern. And uh that kinda changed the world along with we started I kept filming stuff. He's like, we got to get a TV show. And we kind of launched our TV show on TNN a few months later. And that, that really, that was an incredible time. Cause now we, we went from this little fledgling Mississippi company to a nationwide deal. When Browning had us in their booth at the shot show, the official pattern of Browning, that was, that was crazy. <laughs> and, uh, so I, I, I was producing the TV, which we, uh, nobody knew how to do that. And Foxy's always been so smart. He was like, we need to control what the TV show looks like. Because all I was going to do is the same thing, take the video and farm it out. to somebody in Memphis or somewhere that knew how to edit for TV. And he said, well, we got to figure that out. I went to Mississippi State. I have a production school over there. Thank the Lord. <laughs> And, and I found the dean and was talking to him what we were doing. And he was uh, he was showing me the production class room and all that. And I said, well, you think any of them people out there going to school right now hunt? And he said, well, I know that big boy does. His name was Stephen Davis. And I just hung around till class was over and talked to him and just kind of hired him on the spot. And uh, he was really smart. And we ordered all the equipment we needed. He got the guidelines from TNN, and we, we, we actually edited the show here in West Point and sent it up to TNN. This is way older, somebody. All of, them younger, few of our viewers listeners don't know what TNN <laughs> was. Oh, I, was remember. A, yeah, I remember. Yeah, gigantic cable network, and all they did was hunting and fishing and NASCAR and rodeo and country music. It was the perfect venue for <laughs> us. And uh by the second first year we were on Saturday mornings, and that's kind of the kiss of death. But the second year, our ratings were so good they put us on Sunday nights in prime time. And uh that, that really changed the world because now everybody that's got cable is watching us Sunday nights at seven o'clock, and we would get true Nielsen ratings on that following Tuesday. And uh way different back then all year. It wasn't that many shows. There was two or three fishing shows, and uh, Buckmasters came on. That wasn't, you know, before that, it was like the American Sportsman on ABC which right. was all film-narrated film stuff. So it was the timing for Taxi and Wheels, that, as far as that goes, was just uh, a gift from God because they were starting their companies at the same time this hunting industry was being born. And uh, the timing was good, and the messages were good, and uh, it's uh, it's it's been unbelievable, you know, the the journey, and the, to be a small part of that, watching it grow, is has been incredible. Yeah, yeah,
1: man, did <laughs> did you ever think back in those early days of, of packing that massive camera around that that hunting media would would blow up to where it is today? I mean, we're you know. There's hunting videos 24-7 at your fingertips.
0: Yeah. I mean, we have an app right here at Mossy Oak, the Mossy Oak Go app. And they put all the, you know, uh, past TV shows. And, of course, those, I call it the golden. That's my favorites, like that ninety eight, ninety seven, 97, 99, 2000. I just think that was a golden age for us. And uh, I loved how those, you can, and to be honest with you, you can go back and look at some of those shows now and go, that would fit right into this because I learned a valuable lesson. <clears throat> when TNN went away, they sold their network to Spike, and we, were, we weren't a match for them, and they knew <laughs> it. <clears throat> so we, mo- we moved to ESPN. Wasn't a lot going on. They were just kind of, sticking their toe in the water with this hunting stuff. So I had to go up to Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN was, had a big meeting with all them, and they were picking a couple of shows. And I was in a room with a bunch of guys who went to Berkeley Film School, sitting there in suits and ties, and <clears throat> arguing back and forth about what's possible and what's not. And I was looking at them people going, they don't know anything about hunting. And they were looking at me going, that redneck don't know anything about television. And and we were both 100% correct. <laughs> and so we were like, well, can you do this? Can you do that? They didn't understand about being quiet and the wind and all that. Finally, the guy that was running the meeting kind of slammed his fist down on the table. He said, cuz. He said, can you give us a reason to root for the guy or girl, whoever's hunting? And he started explaining like, I've watched some of your shows and the, it starts up and they're sitting in a tree. Blah, blah. He said, who is that sitting in the tree? How did they get there? Why did you pick that spot? He said, you got to tell me a story. He said, let me tell you something. Good stories and characters and real good cinematographic video. He said, that'll never go out of style. And he's right. Yeah, he, he, You know, telling a story is a big deal because you got to bring the people in. That's why I admired Toxie so much. He was uh, <clears throat> never put me on the camera. He was, he was never in your face with that stuff. So we would always go somewhere, and we would be in there with, we didn't have a host. And <clears throat> we'd say, well, let's go film these people hunting. And if they're not interested, well, then let's film their guy. And if he's crummy on camera, don't want to talk, let's talk about the, the town. It was always so story driven. And, uh, you know, by whatever means we had, telling that story ended up helping us a lot. And the product kind of sold itself because everybody was wearing mossy oak. And we would put a 30 second commercial in the mix. And that was it. It was never an in your face kind of deal. It was always about that this is our brand and this is how we roll. And this is what we want to show you. That's why we never, to my knowledge, ever scored a deer on television, didn't talk about uh you know this was a boon and Crockett or a po just didn't do it. Not anything wrong with that. I mean, everybody dreams of killing a monster deer, but then those out those people that take place and the stories of conservation that take place out there was always way more important to Toxie and all of us than. Trying to kill a giant deer because you know I don't know how many buy I don't know how many people buy a deer hunting license this coming fall, but I can promise you there'll be a minute, just a microscopic amount of them that'll see a deer that's 150 inches or bigger. It's those average people who'd love it as much as we do. I just didn't ever want to offend them and let them think like, hey, we just go hunting for the biggest one. The highest rated show we ever aired. <clears throat> I got a good feeling for this. It was a uh, nine-year-old kid, Brett DiBiase, and he missed a little old basket rack gear while we were hunting at Bent Creek Lodge. And the ratings were just astronomical for that week. And uh, I was talking to a taxi about it. He said, well, that, that could have been a fluke. You never know what's going on in October. I inserted that show the next season just as part of the lineup. Didn't list it as a rerun. And boom, the ratings went through the roof again, which proved to me right then and there, number one, content matters. Just because you've got a hunting show don't mean it's going to do well. Right and telling and telling those stories was a big deal, and we kind of we kind of stuck with that through the whole TV run, and I I, I think it helps cement the brand for what it is, you know, conservation to critters, terrain, habitat. That's that's the important stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely, and I I think that's what a lot of the the guys today that are, are just trying to get started and get off the ground they they miss they miss that story part of it, you know, they, they might have great spots to go out and shoot big deer like you're talking about, but you know, if you don't have the story, you just, I don't know, you just, it, it it isn't gonna, it isn't gonna do well.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I hate to get wrapped up. I mean, uh, just like on my farm out there, I've got three grandsons and you know, they came up with all, they all killed their first deer when they were five years old (laughs) With, with uh, with a crossbow. So, my whole world revolved around pop up blinds and crossbows and food plots and stuff like that. And never once did I talk to them about, no, we're not going to shoot this one. Oh, yeah. Well, no, I didn't care what they shot to this day. I don't care what they shoot. I was like, I right, our farm ain't that gigantic. <laughs> everybody everybody gets a bug. I don't care what you shoot. And they, if they want to pass on a little six or an eight point or something, that's cool. And uh, then they'll want to, they're eventually going to want to kill a bigger deer, and I get it, which is, my, I was telling somebody on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, my goal this year is to not put out trail cameras but in, like, security spots because I don't, I'd rather go in there and not know what's coming out because you get in that routine about, okay, that, <clears throat> that big nine point, he hangs out in <laughs> this field, and you go there, and if he doesn't come out, you don't shoot anything. So you end up not killing any does, not, not taking care of your herd, uh, you know, trying to get it balanced and all that. So I, I'm going to take them out and say, look, let's go find some good bucks. This is always getting a good place. Let's go see if we can see a rug. And kind of let their imagination come back in while they're sitting there going, hey, old movie Grandy may step out here one time. I, I want them to feel that because that's what it, what it used to be like. Yeah. And uh, instead of taking just stock inventory, we're waiting on that deer. He's got a name. And, and that's all okay. But it's like, man, I'd love for him to, to have the anticipation that I used to have. And uh, nothing wrong with, uh, you know, not shooting a buck because he's not old enough. But uh, I don't want him to get caught up in that how big was his rack deal because not everybody has that luxury.
1: no no that's for sure and yeah that man that's a great point because i I mean i love running trail cameras but i i mean I, i understand exactly what you're saying there i do miss that early you know early years of hunting when you go in with no idea what what type of buck might be in the area if any at all and uh and you know back back then when i first started hunting you know, if, if I just seen a buck, that was that was all it took. You know, that was a great yeah. hunt. You know, I didn't, I wasn't worried about score or anything like that. How many inches of antler he had on his head? I just
0: wanted to see a buck. So, um, well, there's so, <clears throat> you know, we've done a great job <clears throat> conservation wise with the whitetail. There's so many. It's not that difficult to kill a deer, but you know that with uh, you know, owning land or, on, or being in a hunting club, being uh, a steward of that land comes to responsibilities. And uh, part of that deal, I love the main reason I deer not to this day is venison. We eat a lot of venison, and there's three families, count my two daughters and their families and those kids and all that. So I want them to know how to, you know, field dress the dough and where to shoot it to drop it and, uh, you know, how to process it. You know, skin it, how to debone it, all that kind of stuff. That's such an important place, and that's where you will recruit new hunters because <clears throat> your kids, my kids, everybody who grew up around it. They were going to get it. They were going to get a full dose. People that didn't have anybody in their house, it takes a special brain cell for them to say, "I want to try that." And ninety-nine percent of want to try it for that venison. They people are so interested in whether. Food comes from. That's that's the big arena we can recruit from. So I'm all, I'm always talking about the food part of that. NBA has done and formerly QDMA did a masterful job with their field of fork program. I was a part of one of the first of those events where they recruited people who were interested and then trained them in a little. You know, I think our our deal was a crossbow hunt, but. It, that, that was the, the most diverse crowd of people I'd ever hunted with. I mean, there was Asian guys, black guys, there was girls in there with purple hair. <laughs> it, was, it was not your normal crowd, and they were just as passionate about this now as we were when we were 12 years old, and they were all about that food. And what was hanging them up from not starting by themselves was not shooting a deer. It was like, what do I do with it? Right. How do how you know and that educational part is what they signed up for, and uh that's where we can grow our numbers is with people who want to get started. And, and you had mentioned kids in the front end of this thing, and and I'll talk about this all the time. I'm speaking next week. I forgot where I'm at, but I'm gonna talk about recruiting people other than kids. I said I love kids and. Everybody has a great program for that, the Jakes at the NWTF and all this. And, but I said, if I'm going to dedicate my time, which is the most valuable thing we have, I'm going to try to do it with an adult, especially if they have kids who are interested. Because if you, if you get them hooked and they get that passion and you spend a couple of weeks taking them and showing them everything, well, then they can keep going. If you take a 10-year-old kid or a 9-year-old kid, whatever, and get him enthused and take him on his first hunt and then deliver him back to his house, well, if ain't nobody there interested in taking him, guess what? He ain't going again. Yeah. So it's, it's so much better to me to recruit an adult who's got that itch who can then pass it on. He's got a driver's license. He can bring somebody and all that. That's the that's way to grow the numbers. And uh, I'm not sure what the numbers will be this year. I'm sure they're going to be – they may be up a little bit, may be flat. They've been flat for a while. But to me, that's where our big pool of new hunters comes from is people who want to uh, eat healthy and do more on their own, be a little more self-sufficient. I think that's very important.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it has been – it's been really cool to watch that, that field to fort program grow. And, and like you said, just reach such, such a diverse crowd. It, for one thing, it, it goes to show for all of us that you never know. You know, I think a lot of times we make assumptions about people we know or work with or go to church with or whatever, you know, we, we don't think to invite them hunting because they don't look like the, the typical hunter. So we, we make the assumption that they, <clears> you know, they won't, they wouldn't have any interest in that. And uh, that yeah. that program just goes <laughs> to show that, that that's that's not always the case.
0: Yeah, especially with guys, they <clears throat> you don't want to be what my pop, my dad used to call a wicker bill. It's somebody who did just didn't know anything about <laughs> the outdoors. You don't want to be the worker bill. So guys, especially adults, they they they're hesitant to say, "Hey, man, would you take me hunting?" You know, they uh, some guys just can't do that. It's like me. When I first I bought my first little piece of land, I wanted, I was like, man, I'm going to fix me a food plot, blah, blah. I didn't know anything. And I'd have to go ask Tati or uh, one of my buddies or go to the co-op and say, what do I need? to? I didn't have any clue how to do that. And people would look at me like, dang, you're cuds. <laughs> you're, you're supposed to know all this. So I know what that feels like. So the best thing to do is embrace somebody, don't make them feel like the wicker bill. Say, look, I you know, I had to learn this on my own. Let me show you what this is a this is a shortcut to getting you more successful. And uh in the end, you know, and I you hear people say this all the time. I said this 30 years ago and everybody's copied it, but the the four stages you go through as a hunter is the first one, you're just getting into it. You just wanna get one whatever it is. There yeah. could be a duck or deer or whatever. Stage two is you want to get as many as you could possibly fit in the back of your pickup <laughs> truck. And yeah. stage three is when you start trophy hunting. I want to get the biggest one ever. And if you make it to stage four, that's when it's kind of, that's, you've it's identified who you are. Now you want to spread that and teach that and give your knowledge to other people. If you make it to stage four, that's a cool thing because if you get to there, you'll find out it's way more satisfying to introduce somebody in it and watch that hunt. I can't tell you how many first hunters I've taken. It's hundreds. And to be a part of that's way more satisfying than when I killed that. I killed a giant deer in 1981, a Boone and Crockett deer. Score two oh nine and six eighths, and I didn't even know what I didn't know what scoring a deer meant. <laughs> I, I ended I ended up putting a video on my YouTube channel. You can go back and look at the deer, and it's I forgot what I called the video, but it's all about this giant buck. I shot him with a lever action thirty thirty with open sights, <laughs> and I w- I was sitting in half of a Amica tree stand. I didn't have the top; I just had the bottom, <laughs> and I would hug the tree. And, but it's like There were so many uh, weird things happened about that deer. And remember, this is 1981. There wasn't a lot of 200-inch deer hitting the ground in 1981. And I was still working at the sporting goods store, and I heard so much about people coming in. Did you hear about that big deer? Yeah, I heard about it. You know, that guy shot him at night. And I was like, really? Yeah, And it went on and on. And there's a lot of negative stuff, and it kind of, Kind of turned me off to that scorn deal. Now it was, it was uh, not that big of a deal in '81, but it still is like if if that was an issue back then, it, it it's just crazy how important that is nowadays. The scorn part, I I just I just don't like that. I'd like to say hey, it was a four-year-old deer or a five-year-old deer. It's good in a conversation when you're trying to tell your buddy how big was that buck I saw. But it shouldn't be uh, the only thing on our minds. And again, hey, that's just my
1: opinion. Yeah. Well, just just be glad you, they didn't have social media back then when you killed it because then <laughs> you really would have had oh. to deal with uh, all the nonsense of, you know, he, that, that deer was poached or shot at night. Oh, and yeah. Just, oh, it, it,
0: it's crazy. It is crazy. I had, I had that deer. <clears throat> I went to work for what uh, – after I went to work for Will for that year or so, he, I had the deer, got it back. Man, he said, we need to hang that thing up in the booth. I think we're at the buck of rama And I had that deer on a pedestal on a thing, you could, and people were coming by going, oh, my God. And there were three people came by. I'm not going to tell you who they are because you would know the names of all three <laughs> of them. Big-time, famous hunting guys, and one of them thumped it. He wasn't even looking at me. He kind of thumped it. He said, that's one of them reproductions. <laughs> and, and he walked off, and I, I got in front of him. I said I, said, I introduced myself. I said, I shot that deer. And I said, that's not a fake. And he said, yeah, right. and just kept going. But it's mm-hmm. like, holy cow. You know, it, it, I, I guess that's just an American thing. You know, we just get bigger and bigger. You take Henry Ford's Model A, and now it's a $200,000 monster truck. <laughs> you know it's, we keep improving, and and that's just the nature of the beast, but uh you know selfishly, I'd love for all the people getting into it now to kind of have the same amount of excitement and fun and and struggles and rewards that we had, yeah, growing up, and that may be an unreachable goal, who
1: knows yeah well, i know I know for me, I think one of the reasons that I was passionate about you know helping new hunters um was because of my lack of having a mentor when I was younger you know yeah. having to figure all that stuff out myself do you, you think that's kind of what led you down this
0: you know really <clears throat> wanting to
1: to help people get involved in the outdoors
0: I don't know I just you know my mother was a giving soul and I am too I, I don't mind doing stuff for people I, I, I people please or whatever it is but Yeah, you know, I think anybody that's that passionate about something wants to share it with everybody, and not everybody wants it. And then when you meet that that young person or whoever it is who's like, man, I would love to do that. Well, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure they they get involved with it. That's probably way more for me than it is them, you know, and uh, my oldest – grandchild, my granddaughter, she brought her boyfriend out there to our farm who has never hunted or shot a gun or anything. And we shot some clay pigeons, and I shot a crossbow, and we went fishing. And before he left, he said, said, Mr. Cuz, will you take me deer hunting? I said, yeah. And I looked forward to that all season. It was kind of late after Christmas before he could get out there. But he killed a doe and dropped it in its tracks, and he wanted to do everything. Skin it, field dress it. We took the back straps out. I showed them how to debone it. I said, well, "You take that. We'll make sausage out of that." And that was a, that was a kind of the highlight of my hunting season <laughs> last year. You know, I I stay pretty busy. I have a lot of commitments, so I don't get to do it all the time. So when I get that new one, uh, you know, it's it's pretty special. And I'm sure everybody feels like that.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do want to. Say one thing before we we move on here. You you know we talked a little bit about scores, and you had mentioned there about you know not not limiting your grandkids when you first got them started to you know to a certain size buck or whatever. That it's one thing that always bothered me that you know people took the message of you know of QDMA or QDM of letting the majority letting the majority of the yearling bucks go and, and shooting the appropriate number of does. And you know, it got twisted somewhere along the way. And some of these people, you know, would again take kids out like that and 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 try to put those restrictions on them. And that was never, never the intention of, of the QDM message to to limit kids on what they can shoot. You know, it's just I, I don't like seeing that and, and certainly don't like seeing it associated with with you know QDM and QDMA. Uh so yeah, yeah, let let the kids you know, have that taste of success, let them shoot what they want. And, uh, man, I just, or, or really any new hunter for that matter. It doesn't matter if it's a kid or not, you know, don't, don't limit <clears throat> a, a new hunter, take them out there, show them the ropes and take them, you know, have a deer come out and say, no, you can't shoot that one. <laughs> you know, he's not big yeah, enough. It, so.
0: Oh, look, it's a touchy subject. I promise you, but you <laughs> got to, re- you get, I, I can tell you stories for days, but <clears throat> you got to remember not everybody has their own piece of dirt or nobody, has a hunting club. Not everybody gets to hunt three days a week. Some some people don't get to hunt but a weekend yeah, or, or three days. And if they want to harvest their venison during that three days, I, I say harvest it. If it's a spot, whatever it is, you know, everybody has their own, you know, their own style, their own whatever they get to do. And sometimes you, if you get too hung up on watching giant ranches, who are just managing for big deer, you'll get a little discouraged, but uh, I knew QDMA was not about that. To me, it was all about herd health. Just like when I had my farm, I had a guy out there, and I forgot what we were talking about. He could have been a county guy, CRP guy or something, but I was like, no, I ain't going to do that. I ain't going to do that. I want to be able to make my own decisions, but he's like, well, what's your goal? Out here, and I said to have the most, the largest, sustainable population I can foster on this one piece of land. I wanted, I wanted maximum carrying capacity. And if a deer happened to get big, that's cool. But I wanted them kids to see deer, yeah, because they got they got lots of competition now. And if you can't keep them interested, you know, you you got you don't even have a fighting chance. So. <laughs> My, my deal was a healthy herd of deer, maximum carrying capacity. And that's the kind of questions I ask. That's the kind of food I grow. That's how I want my terrain with this much bedding. And uh, it's it's different for everybody. And, uh, you know, it, and once you get into it for a long time, you go through those stages. You kind of tell, you, you tend to think that everybody thinks like you do, and they don't. Everybody has different goals. Mine, your goal may be to put just two, maybe two or three deer in the freezer. And that's your goal. Well, that's a lofty goal. Good for you. And some people may, I don't know, I'm not going to shoot a deer till it's five or six. Or, well, you know what? That's good. This is America. Okay. Like Ted Nugent, like <laughs> Ted Nugent says, they ain't doing this in France, buddy. So, so, so to, to each his own, you know, live and let learn, but don't, don't criticize the guy who works down at the gravel yard because he shot a 12-inch eight point, you know, because that was the only deer he got to hunt this year. Now, you get older guys who will shoot small bucks back-to-back, and it's like, hey, look, you're 60 years old. Shoot a doe. Yeah, I get aggravated at that kind of stuff, but you got to make sure that people that are just getting into it, they they, they got to hunt some to get that. Edge to know what to do, you got to kind of cut them some slack. So, yeah,
1: absolutely. And man, that that is one of the most frustrating things to me today about uh, uh, social media is I I don't know what it is why all these hunters think, and, and I don't mean all these hunters, but I mean the the vocal and the ones you see on social media, the ones that think that you know all the other hunters should hunt the same way they do. You know, they should be after the same Quality of buck, or or using the same equipment they do, and uh, man, just it just drives you crazy the the amount of infighting and stuff happening in
0: our you know hunting community. Yeah, <clears throat> my philosophy is if you buy a hunting license and you play by the rules and obey the law, then we're on the same team. That's right. I don't I don't I don't care if you hunt with a. Uh, a Creed, uh, what is it, a 6.5 Creed more yeah, or a sling yeah. or a slingshot? It makes no difference to me if you've got a hunting license because that's good. That money's going to the right place. And, uh, but people don't like that. I'll give you a good example. I've told this story a bunch of times, but back in the day when I was dealing with magazines and stuff, I, I got a call from MR James, who was the founder of Bowhunter Magazine. Yeah. And I was—he was going to kill a deer with his bow from the ground, and he was going to do it in Texas. And he was explaining to me why he thought he could pull it off down there. Cause when he first said, "I'm gonna kill a white-tailed deer stalking from the ground," I was rolling my eyes, going, <laughs> "Yeah, good luck with that." But uh, anyway, we went to this place. that was in coastal Texas, and the wind blows all the time. He said that wind's gonna give me enough cover. There's enough deer in Texas, and it started making sense. I said, that'd be fun to film that, and so I did. I met him down there, and uh, he wasn't looking for any certain deer. He's just trying to kill a buck while he was on the ground moving around, and it was, it was harder than we thought. But anyway, when we first got there, there was this guy. He was from up north. I don't even remember the state, but he, was a, he had a recurve or a longbow or something, and he met Mr. James, nobody knew we were coming. And he was like, he was, he was flabbergasted that M. R. James was using a compound bow. And he's like, you're the founder of Boat Hunter magazine. You're you got sights, you got a pizza. He just went off. And Mr. was, like, you know, he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He was just shaking his head. Yeah, yeah. So we'd go out and hunt and something would happen. It was getting kind of frustrating. And every night we'd come in for supper. That guy would, man, I can't believe your bow, but and he would pick his bow up and show it off. Well, like the third evening, after three days of this, I had blown a stalk for him. I was behind him, right over his shoulder. Wind was blowing a little bit, and he was sitting there, had his release on. And there's an eight point easing around eating these acres. He was going. He's fixed to be within thirty yards. And I hear this rustling, and I look down, and there's this giant snake I learned later. <laughs> it was a blue, blue indigo snake, which you, you can Google it. They get real big. And I don't do snakes. I'm scared to death of snakes. So when I saw that snake, he didn't see me. He was coming right at me. I naturally made a move to get out of his way and I probably grunted. I'd like to think I didn't scream like a 30-year-old schoolgirl. <laughs> but anyway, it spooked the deer enough. And MR turned around with like, what in the world? So I was a little upset. So we go back to camp and there's Mr. Uh, Traditional Archer. He gets up in MR's face again. And I just pushed MR out of the way. And I said, let me ask you something. I said, how did you get down here to Corpus Christi? He said, well, I flew. I said, what the hell's traditional about a jet airplane? Are those lacrosse boots you got on or them binos you should have? knitted your own moccasins and walk <laughs> down here and why and while you're at it, he shut up. And I turned around and walked off and MR had a smile from ear to ear. But that guy was bow hunting for all the wrong reasons. Mm. He was on a journey to prove himself to somebody instead of just having fun. And it aggravated me finally. And I'm pretty hard to get aggravated, but <laughs> it's like just let everybody do their own thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't know Somewhere along the way, but yeah, it's, we've, we've turned, turned hunting into, I don't know, some, I guess a a competition or, or something, but, but yeah, you're right. You can, and I've even, I mean, I've been guilty of it myself. You get so wrapped up in wanting to kill, you know, a certain age of buck or certain quality of buck or whatever that, man, you can, you can really take the fun out of it quick. And, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. uh, Not not everybody has the same mindset and, I, I, I've i been to countless, you know, deer places where guys, they'll have all the trail cam pictures up and so and I, I get it. And, uh, you know, it's like, hey, if that's your plan, this is your dirt, we'll do what you want to do. And then, I you know, I, here's what I believe, especially if you bow hunt. If you bow hunt, you got to have a lot of encounters. You're not going to kill a lot of deer. But what you're doing, like, every time you go, you're getting that edge. You got to have an edge. To kill a deer, especially with a bow and arrow, and, as you, and whether you're hunting with a gun or not, the more you go, the more you do, the more you kill deer or whatever, the better you're going to get at it. And people who just sit there and look at deer and look at deer and look at deer, I don't think they're, they're learning much, you know, about, man, I need to position over there. Uh, I need to have way more attention to my approach. And which way is the wind blowing and all that kind of stuff. You, everybody deserves that chance to get better. And if you're not harvesting some deer along the way, you're not going to learn much. That's, again, that's just my opinion.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Any changes that, that you see happening, I guess, within the hunting industry or the hunting community? Uh, we've addressed some of them here, I guess, but but some that, that concern you about the the future of hunting?
0: Well, you know, I I I'll tell you like this. I've had the luxury of raising my girls in the hunting world, and now helping raise their kids. Three of them are boys, so I I got to see a couple of generations and how things have changed and all that kind of stuff. And that that's been a a blessing to me. And, and instead of trying to. uh fight what's going on on social media. I got a pretty big social media platform for an old guy. I do a lot on there. And Facebook's really big for me. Instagram, I have a YouTube. I don't do as much on the YouTube as I should. I have a podcast and I try to be all inclusive. Now, as far as technology, I don't personally have an issue with technology. Uh, It just depends on how you use it. You know, the trail cameras, without question to me, changed the playing field more than anything. And uh, I, that, it's a double-edged sword because I love trail cameras. For this reason, it, it keeps me and them kids out there a lot more than just hunting. We get yeah. to, I, I get to explain to them why I'm putting it here. And, you know, I'm, I'm facing it so the sun's not here. and they get to learn so much. And I love fooling with trail cameras. Where I, where I have an issue is, and it's probably not even with deer, as much as it is for turkeys, with the sale cameras. Because I was at a place one time, and the sale camera, boom, came to this guy's phone. He said, there's three strutters down there in the a or orchard. Let's roll. <laughs> you know, the, I, I kind of have an issue with that. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah. just because I think you can get so good with technology, you, you kind of take the edge off. The critter's having a 50-50 chance. You know, I, I got a little bit of issue with that just personally. I feel like, you know, cooler heads will prevail. We'll figure all that kind of stuff out. I don't personally own a cell camera. I got one, and it's a security camera, and it's not even in a hunting spot. The rest of mine are, you know, got to have an SD card, and I put them in places like where I can go on my electric cart and just roll right up to it pop the card out, put a new card in, spray it, ease out of there. where well, the encroachment factor is not too bad. And the kids are learning a lot about that, about how you can't just stomp down in there and leave your scent everywhere. That's just as bad as going on a hunt. But the sail cameras are a, another issue when you use them immediately like that. I, I kind of have an issue with that. I've always liked technology, and in the, in the, especially in the archery world. And um, not, you know, not, not everybody can shoot 80 and 100 yards proficiently, but everything I've added to my bow has helped me at that, and that killing zone for me is 25 yards and in. Uh, I don't have any issues with, you know, mechanical broadheads or movable pins, whatever, you, whatever it makes you a better person at closing the deal ethically, I'm all for it. And uh, you know I, I I don't I don't gun hunt a lot anymore. I, I will go. I don't have anything against it. I shot a elk with the Primos guys thirty four years ago and enjoyed every minute of that hunt. I'm I'm not a long distance gun guy, thousand yards. But people that get into that, that's kind of their hobby, and I get it. And as long as you're not uh, breaking the rules or killing over the limit or anything like that. I got no issue with technology. My phone's full of apps. <laughs> OnX, you know, onX, oh, I got every stand marked. Uh, that has got weather apps everywhere. But in the end, you still got to sneak in and be still and be quiet and have the wind right and all that. And if it helps me do that, I'm all for it. So I, I haven't seen any real technology that, it scares me. I try to keep up with it as much as I can, and if it makes me better at running that air through the the tin ring, I'm all for it. Oh yeah, yep,
1: absolutely, and yeah, yeah. It's certainly as as technology advances, I think there'll be probably more and more of those those gray areas. Oh, oh it's yeah. coming. <laughs> I it's thought coming. Oh yeah, I was, I was just gonna say. I don't know if you've seen it, but but Mark Kenyon just put out an article, I think, on the Meat Eater site that. uh had to do with his, you know, he's starting to use some cell cameras, but he's putting some uh, self limitations in place to where he's not tempted, like you said there, you know, to get a tech me- text message with a that a box right there, you know, by your stand. And so you slip yeah. in there and try to shoot it, you know, right, right then and there and uh, just had some pretty good advice on there where he's how he's kind of taking that uh, that temptation away. Uh, just some ways he's he's setting up the camera and stuff. But uh, yeah.
0: Well, Good for him, you know. And hunters, hunters through the through the decades have been the best at 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 policing themselves. And that's when you get into the anti-hunting world. I tell people all the time: any any animal in this country, and this is the 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 perfect place to prove that we always have nothing that's huntable legally will ever be on the endangered species list because. Hunters are going to say, well, whoa, wait a minute. Something's wrong with the migration or something's wrong with the hatch or I'm not seeing as many deer. They'll figure it out. And the difference in the, the hunters and all sportsmen in general is they'll, they'll pay whatever it takes to do the work. And that's a, a unique thing we never need to lose sight on. We're not very good at patting ourselves on the back, but we have the, the best experiment in wildlife conservation in the history of the world right here in the United States. And it's so many good hunters, just like that article right there, self-limitations. I'm gonna figure this out. Uh, and man, you just you can't say enough about that. That's why I stay I stay pretty excited about it. I've gotten a good look with these young kids. They yeah, there's a generation out there that kind of lost their way. And but I think them young, young kids, 10, 12, 15, 18, Man, I, I think a lot of them get it. I get some great questions from my grandkids and younger mm-hmm. kids when I'm speaking. And it's like, wow, man, I wish I would have been that knowledgeable when I was their age. I, I think they've kind of caught on that we're messing this thing up. What can we do? Because, you know, that, that old saying from Indian Chief, we don't inherit the land from our fathers. We borrow it from our children. And uh they're looking at it like, "Hey, wait a minute, I want to be able to do that when I'm your age, and that's what I think about all the time in the habitats like you know, I planted you know hundreds and hundreds of cherry bark oaks and all kind of trees that I'll never see, and they can drop from, but maybe they will, you know, so and I think hunters in general get that, I really do, yeah, yeah, I think so, going back to
1: you know, we talked about some modern hunting content and, and how it's so readily available today to, to anybody who wants to watch twenty four seven. What what do you what do you think about it? What do you think about the the video content that's uh, being put out these days?
0: You know, most of the video content I take in is on YouTube, and it's 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 generally you know some some kid or guy or girl whoever. It's just filming, you know, their adventures out there. And there's no, as Will said, there's no fancy edits or no <laughs> stage, stage scenes. And uh, I enjoy that kind of stuff, especially if it's uh, struggling. You know, I, I very seldom will click on something that's got clickbait saying 180-inch uh, deer at 10 yards. No. <clears throat> you know, it could be some big-time influencer who's killed a giant deer and but what I want, and there'll be a clip of it and like, yeah, that's a big deer right there. But I was like, you know, some guy found that deer, some some local three years ago, has been watching it and watching it. And he's probably the one that set the stand up and he he knew about all that. And so I don't pay a lot of attention to some of the big, big time influencers. I, I dig down deep and I may just go to YouTube and click on uh bow hunting deer and you'll see some crazy names and <laughs> you know uh some kids trying to do something i'd rather watch that and then i had somebody who's polished and has a long career and all that because there's some unbelievably good and funny and useful content out there if you know where to look so i i got i'll go down some pretty good rabbit holes i do it on all kinds of topics You know, but uh, I enjoy my favorite thing to do now is I'll I'll find an interesting person on YouTube. And I'd say I'd like to get them on my podcast and trying to, you know, private message them, all that kind of stuff and end up exposing them to more people. Because I've went down a lot of their content and it's good stuff and they got some good tips and they don't have any sponsors. You know, they're not hawking product. They're just Doing the best they can. I love, you know, doing some detective work and finding that kind of stuff because it, it's pretty, it's pretty fascinating to me because I can remember seeing Toxy. We'd have to write a check to TNN or ESPN for an amount of money that that would be staggering today, much less than the 90s. And if we could get, you know, two or three, four, 500,000 views of that while it was on television. Actually, was like that's a win right there well you can do it on social media sitting on your couch now if you're careful <laughs> yeah and and to me i have a, a way more deep appreciation for being able to do that than somebody that didn't see them giant checks going out the door trying to reach them in just one medium so it's uh it's fun to for me to dig down and find those kind of people and I you know It's like my social media. I'm pretty careful. I I post a wide array of things. It's not just hunting. It's pretty heavy hunting during season, but it's, uh, I don't try to, I've I've put very few posts about I killed a big deer normally because I didn't kill one. (laughs) All three of my, all three of my grandsons killed a really nice deer last year, but the one that got the most views was like, I think the opening weekend of both season, it was 94 degrees And out of the four groups, one person saw one deer and everybody was sweating and we camped. And that was like the, the most watched video from last year. It wasn't about, you know, this one killed a big deer. That one killed a big deer. I think the big deer can make you get you numb a little bit if you leave that story out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and speaking of, of videos and your, your grandsons, I know, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> you you've created a a series there included some some videos on your your cuz 41 youtube channel uh with with your your grandson cranky <laughs> the cranky oh, chronicles man. yeah uh, how, how did that come about
0: well cranky is a unique individual he was uh from the get go he got his nickname cuz he was when my youngest daughter was pregnant with him he kicked and kicked and And at some point, the brother who was already with us said, That's a a cranky baby. So the (laughs) nickname just kind of stuck. But I knew Cranky and all of them are great kids. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. Open doors. They're just, their parents have raised them so well. But Cranky was a little different. He, I just knew he was different. He didn't care if the camera was on and he would talk more like an adult when he was five years old Mm -hmm. than anybody. Kids and dogs and food always do good on social media. And I enjoyed hunting with him uh, because I knew he was different. Cranky was actually diagnosed as being dyslexic when he was about five. He was having some issues, or six. He was having some issues in school, and uh, God bless him. Uh, They got a coach and a teacher. He's actually a principal of the elementary school, Phil Ferguson. He told Lauren. He said, "I want to have Cranky tested," and he was showed he was he was dyslexic. And there's a great school over at Mississippi State, a class, and Cranky went five years, two two days a week through that course. He was the second kid to ever make the whole five five years of that deal. He makes straight A's now, A's and B's, but his the way he communicates is so different, and uh, people just. They were drawn to it. And when I, when I did the, the, he killed what we call the devil turkey, and it was actually a <laughs> two-year ordeal. And the reason I know it was the same turkey, everybody's like, I, you can't know. I was, yeah, it was the same turkey. He lived in this one block, 80-acre 80, 80 block of piney trees. The buddy let me hunt. And when, when he finally, after, I don't know, 12 or 13 hunts over a two-year period, and he killed that turkey. And I turned, I found it and turned around and he was crying. And mm-hmm. I thought, what's wrong? And he said, I'm just so happy. <laughs> and, and, and people just, so awesome. they flocked there. And now, now he's getting bigger. But I can tell you, I took him to the NWTF a couple of times. And he sits there and signs hats and way more than I do. I'm sure, <laughs> it's, I, I'm sure it's, his fan base is much bigger than mine. But that goes back to that story thing. People love stories and struggles in kids that are real. Yeah. And uh, most kids are really bashful. I used to have a, a system when I was filming TV, filming a kid, and I always went real big on interviews because I didn't want to have to narrate anything if I could get away from it. I'd rather have the hunter do it. And I would take the kid and say, look, we're going to go practice what we're going to talk about tomorrow. And I have the camera sitting there running but it was like it wasn't real. We were just going to have a conversation because the minute you turn the camera on and say, "Okay, here we go," they just they start answering with one word: yes, yeah, yes, and no, deer yes. in the headlights. Yeah, <laughs> Crank, cranky was never like that. He'd tell you real quick what's on his mind, and I could just give him a GoPro and say, "All right, let's go find that deer," and you talk to him, talk to the camera, and he would just go on and on and on, and uh, people like that.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess,
1: you know, obviously well, it's it's harder and harder these days to get kids to take an interest in the outdoors. There's, like you said, they're, they're stuck in their phones and there's so much other stuff, sports and other things to, to distract them. So what, what kind of tips would you, would you give for the, the dad or the grandfather <clears throat> or uncle out there who, yeah. you know, has a youth I, in their I, family?
0: Yeah, I wrote an article for the QDMA about this.
1: Yeah, that's right. I don't right.
0: remember what the name was, but <clears throat> I've had the pleasure, like I say, of doing it for two generations. And then me having to, I learned a lot of mine on my own. But I said, first off, you you got to check your, your ego at the door. Because if you're a hunter and you're breaking your kids in, you'll get caught up in the mindset unmistakably. That this this ain't about them, it's about you. I want my kid to kill this. I want my kid to get an eight point I mean, you got to throw all that out the door and re- and remind yourself every time this ain't about you, it's about them. so you when they're starting young like that, the biggest mistake I've seen people make, especially deer hunting, is trying to get them to shoot a gun that's too big because yeah. I'm telling you that that initial flinch and noise. We'll stick with them for a long time. I started all mine off with a BB gun, then a twenty-two, and the twenty-two I had was like a little bolt-action twenty-two with a scope on it, and we would go out there and plink and then put that paper target up and plink and plink. And when I took them, the little two two, three looked just like the twenty-two, and I wouldn't even bring it up because I know that gun was not going to kick them so bad and they were going to be so excited. All right, I took that out of the equation. The next thing I, I made sure is they were comfortable. I, I didn't want them to go on a mission, you know. Like it's twenty degrees down here is like unbearable. I, I picked the picked the right days. Made sure they had plenty of snacks. We talked about we we'd spend an hour picking out what they wanted to take, you know, and whether it was a a honey bun or a you know bag M and M's. We talked. No, that makes too much noise. So we got to put them in a plastic bag or something. Make a whole big deal about the snacks, and then try to remember that you're a guide uh, for the outdoors, not just that deer hunt, and show them everything: tracks, a spider web, anything, and and let them know that that the stuff happens out here, and it, it's it's it only happens out here. I I had girls. And when we were sitting in a deer stand, whether it was a shooting house or a blind I built and covered up, they would talk to me about things that they would never bring up in any other situation because we had two or three hours to sit there and visit. So you 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 got to let them know they're that important. If they want to play with their phone a little bit, I say, okay, here's the deal. You can play that puzzle, whatever you're playing with, till 4.15, then we're hunting got gotcha. you. And, and you know, lay them rules down and, and let them have some of their stuff and then teach them about hunting, make sure they got their gear. I made sure every one of them had a little pair of their own binoculars. Like I say, now watch that point down there. Every five minutes you got them because I can't see as good as I used to. Mm-hmm. You just got to, you just got to make it all about them and then take them through the whole process. If they kill the deer, If they don't want to stand there while you're gutting it, that's okay. You know, just break them into that slowly and then, uh, you know, make them part of the venison deal. And when you're eating, say, you know, little John, he killed this deer. I didn't kill it. So they'll feel proud and they'll know the whole circle from, like the NDA says, from the field to the fork. And uh, as long as you you make it about them and not, not about your ego, They'll love it because if, if you can get them to go once, everybody can do that. If you can get them to go three or four or five times, then they'll start, they'll, they'll kind of get hooked. And then they, they can start making their own decisions. Toughest thing you can do is, uh, is turn them loose. like two of my grandsons now are hunting on their own. And I, I hated that. Hmm. But it's like, it's, it's, a, it's just, a, that's what you got to do. And, uh, you know, Matt, I turned him loose when he was, he was probably 13 or 12. And he said, Papa, I'm ready to do this on my own. I said, Okay. so I'm going to take, we went to the best spot. And he said, You know, that we saw that big deer down there two weeks ago, but he was way down through there. And I said, Well, go down there. Maybe he'll come out. And uh, we got, I heard, I was, I didn't even hunt that day. I just stood up there by what we call our little man day. And I could hear, I heard him, pay yow. And uh, he sent me a text. Got him, got him, got him. Went down there and it was a little bitty eight point. We walked up on it together and his jaw dropped and his eyes got big. He said, man, I thought that was the big one. <laughs> and, and, and we asked him, hey, that's fine. You got your first ear by yourself. And I never scold him or whatever. I was like, that's cool. Now you know what the big eye is. He'd heard me talk about getting the big eye from you're. <laughs> Your adrenaline gets rushing, you know, you think, Oh, that's a monster deer. But guess what? He'll, he'll never forget killing that first deer on his own. You know, that's, that's a tough thing to do is, uh, is, is give them wings. Just yeah. like when they get their driver's license, that's, that's hard to do, but you kind of got to sit back and go, Well, that mission's accomplished. I think they enjoy it. first thing you know, they're inviting their buddies and I'm cooking farm and dragging deer and I ain't hunting anymore. But that's exactly where I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's man.
1: But that's the that's the hunts when I think back on, you know, my 35 or so years of hunting, you know, it's not what I killed or what I did. It's, you know, those those times with my kids, their firsts and yeah. Um, yeah, those those are the hunts that that'll that'll stick with you forever, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's, and, no, it's, there's no things happen out there that don't happen anywhere else. And I, I feel bad for people that don't get a chance to do it. So,
1: yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I learned, like you said there, I learned early on when I started taking my kids along, it, it, like you said, you got to make it about them and just, uh, you got to curb your own expectations. You know, yeah. <laughs> they're, 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 they're going to get tired and want to leave about, you know, the last hour of daylight or. Or you know they're gonna talk, and when you want them to be quiet and all that kind of stuff, and you just uh, you just like you said, you got to make it about them, make it fun, That's it. or else yeah, you know.
0: if it's not fun, they ain't going anymore. That's right. They, gotta, they got too many other options nowadays, so make, right. Just make it make it fun for
1: them. Yep. Well, Cuz, man, I absolutely enjoyed getting to getting to spend time talking with you today, and uh, definitely wish you and and the the grandkids, the best in the upcoming deer season here. And, uh, yeah, for those who would like to keep up with you and, and cranky and the, the grandkids this season, what's the, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Yeah. It's cause Strickland on Instagram and cause Strickland on uh, Facebook. And I do have a YouTube gets real busy. It's called cause One One. It gets real busy during the hunting seasons. And, uh, podcast is called A Fistful of Dirt, and it's kind of wide-reaching. You know, I had Kip Adams on a couple of weeks ago, and that was one of my favorites. He is, he is such a wonderful guy. He's the biologist at, at the NDA, and but I cover a lot of topics this week. I got a guy that's got a, a almost 100% self-sustaining uh, homestead. i have call He started with five acres, and now he's got you know he's got a great garden and hogs and chickens and two dairy cows and loves to hunt and fish and he's kind of all about that food thing so that's a it's a wide reaching array on that but i'll I'll tell you something and I appreciate you inviting me on here because people like you this you're you're the outdoor writer of the day we used to pick the guy that was the guy at deer and deer hunting or you know sports and field and those days are, are dwindled, and it's people like you that have podcasts where people get their information. And I don't—I'm promising nobody has an idea how much work that is. So, <laughs> yeah. my, my my hats off to you for uh, taking that flame that the older guys are passing down and doing a great job. And I got nothing but admiration for you, Brian. And I appreciate you asking me to come on.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I, I tell you one of my, and you're right, they are a lot of work. And, and one of the, the main reasons that, that, you know, keep me plugging away at it is, uh, you know, just what other way would you have the opportunity to to sit down with, with guys like yourself and, and some of the, the other folks in the, the hunting industry that I look up to and, and just be able to sit down and have a, you know, hour long conversation with them. It's, it's a, a really, really cool privilege, so. Well, I appreciate I, that. I,
0: pre- I appreciate you send me the link, and I'll post it on everything I got, <laughs> and, and we'll share it with as many people as we can, brother.
1: Well, good deal, good deal. I appreciate that, and we'll definitely, uh, you know, post uh, links to to all your stuff there, your YouTube page, and and Fistful of Dirt podcast, and in, uh, in the show notes as well, so people can check that out.
0: Well, thank you, Brian. I enjoyed it, my brother.
1: Yep, same here. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Cuz Strickland. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and, and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to Deerassociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, Hey, we'd also love it. If you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review, you know, those both help us uh, climb the the podcasting charts and be more visible to, uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there for more information about the national deer association. You can visit our website again at deerassociation.com from there. You can sign up for our free weekly newsletter. And uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of of free content right there on our website, covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, If it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast. The podcast where deer season never ends.